It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Broadcasting from coast to coast, city to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Good Monday morning. Welcome into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. As you just heard, it is the Ryan Hickey Show with you here for the next two hours until 11 a.m. Eastern. Hopefully making your Monday a little bit smoother, make the transition into the work week a little bit better. A lot of energy, a lot of excitement here. Very excited for the next two hours. A lot to get into from the sports world. We seemingly now are getting closer and closer to a decision. Last night, the 49ers quarterback decision we'll get to here in a second. When they traded up from 12 to 3, we knew it was about to be for three guys because, we I mean, we knew Trevor Lawrence was going to go one of the Jaguars. Looks like 99% we could say Zach Wilson going to the Jets. So the 49ers trade up is going to be Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, and Mac Jones. Well, apparently it is now down to two. I'll tell you who those quarterbacks are and what they should do here in a second. We had a trade. A trade on Friday where the Ravens give, or I should say not give, but send Orlando Brown Jr. tackle to the Chiefs, who are in desperate need of offensive linemen. I don't really get it. Um, I don't know why, if you have a team that's down, that's kind of in flux, why you'd all of a sudden want to help them out if you're the Ravens. We'll get into that here in a second. A few quick hitters as well. We had a no-hitter that wasn't yesterday in Major League Baseball. Should it count? Um, how about in the draft as well? I want to kind of... Hit on at least a few other draft points here um, before we get to Thursday's draft. Less than a week away, four days away from the draft. Could not come fast enough. But as you know, a lot of the discussion around the NFL draft has been dominant around the quarterbacks. Who should go where? How many quarterbacks are going to get drafted? Who is better than who? Ranking all this, 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 and this. A lot of discussion. But what about running backs in the NFL? As we know, the most marginalized position really in the game now, should there be a running back going in the first round? There is one team to, because normally I am against running backs in the first round. I think at this point, the facts and the data and the numbers show doesn't make much sense. There is one team, though, I think really should take a running back in the first round. It makes total sense. I'll tell you who that is. And we do have some information coming. Matt Lombardo, very talented columnist, insider, NFL insider for fanside.com, will join us at 1020 Eastern. Not only get us ready for the draft and give us, you know, a, a few underlying maybe storylines to watch out for. But also, again, we have some trades in the NFL. We have some decisions to make in the NFL. We will get also some NFL storylines covered with Matt at 10.20 Eastern or an hour and 15 minutes from now. As a reminder, we're coming to you live, as we always are, from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios. Well, it's great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners. Check out Big Italy Pizzeria in person in Medford, Joe's Pizzeria in Bayshore, Classic New York Pizza Joint, that's right, also in Bayshore, or online at BigItalyPizza.com. So like we just mentioned, some break, not breaking news, but we have, we are starting to get closer and starting to get a sense of how the draft is going to lay out at the top. Like we said, it is, it's a guarantee at this point. If Trevor Lawrence is not number one to the Jaguars, color me shocked, color everyone in the NFL shocked. It is all but a guaranteed deal. Hell, the Jaguars and Trevor Lawrence may have already signed a contract already at this point. That is how much, you know, in stone we can say Trevor Lawrence to the Jaguars at number one is going to go on Thursday night. Number two, seemingly almost a guarantee, is Zach Wilson going to the Jets at number two. 
So now, really, the draft starts, if you will, at number three. Who are the 49ers going to take, right? If you remember, they traded up. They, were, they had the 12th pick. They traded up with the Dolphins in a big move to go from 12 to three. And the discussion was, who are they going to take at number three? Three quarterbacks. They really, you know, we had a discussion between Justin Fields, Mac Jones, Trey Lance. If you remember when the move was made, when the 49ers jumped from 12 to three, the first name that kind of popped out and then became very popular was Mac Jones. Almost immediately after the trade went down, where the 49ers moved up to number three, Mac Jones, Mac Jones, Mac Jones, Mac Jones. He's the guy. Kyle Shanahan likes him. He wants him. Mac Jones is the guy that the 49ers are targeting. And outside of some few rumbles, you know, when Justin Fields had his pro day a few weeks ago, um, and then when Trey Lance had his pro day last week, okay, some of the odds shifted. And as you know, kind of like the flavor of the week, if you will, or, oh, you know, Justin Fields and Kyle Shanahan are smiling. That means that must be the draft pick. And people started to think Justin Fields. Same thing with Trey Lance now. But now it seems at least we are starting to get some clarity. Still not, don't have the answer number three. We were starting to get some clarity. Ian Rappaport last night reported that the 49ers are reportedly down to two quarterbacks. They are deciding between two quarterbacks, Mac Jones or Trey Lance. So who should they take? Right? If it's down to two, and seemingly now they're making a decision between Mac Jones and Trey Lance, who should be the guy the 49ers take on draft night on Thursday evening? For me... And the answer should be Trey Lance. Now, I thought the answer should have been Justin Fields. I still think the answer should be Justin Fields. But Ian Rapport is a very trustworthy reporter. Seemingly, I'm going to be wrong on this one. It's not going to be Justin Fields at number three to the 49ers. But I do think it should be and it will be Trey Lance at number three. And here's why. He has the ability. He has the potential to follow in the Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen path and be San Francisco's legitimate franchise quarterback for the next 10, 15, maybe even 20 years with how quarterback lifespans have gone so far. And before you jump down my throat and, you know, even too, I will be honest, I make some eye rolls sometimes when any comparison is made um, about Patrick Holmes or to Josh Allen. I will admit, I roll my eyes. But here is why, at least to me in my mind, I don't think this is a crazy comparison and why I do believe this could happen. Before we even get to just Trey Lance himself and what he does similar to Mahomes and Allen, let's look at, first of all, what the situation where Mahomes and Allen, why they both had success in Kansas City and Buffalo, respectively. Solid foundation, right? Patrick Mahomes wasn't a slam dunk when he was drafted in 2017. I, like many, had doubts that Josh Allen could even be a successful NFL quarterback, let alone be a successful NFL quarterback in Buffalo when he was taken the following year at number seven. But there are two, well, there's one factor, I should say, that allowed both of them to flourish on their own timeline and in their own way, but allowed them to be where they are now as one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And that is a solid foundation. If you remember, right, you had Alex Smith there in Kansas City when the Chiefs traded up. That was a playoff team the year before. They had Andy Reid as the head coach. You had Tyree Kill. You had a solid offensive line. You had um, Travis Kelsey. You had the pieces in place for a successful team to our young quarterback who is still raw in Patrick Holmes, great arm talent, as we see, great athleticism, great physical tools, but still raw Texas Tech, still, you know, making some decisions, playing in the Big 12. There was still that stereotype there of, you know, the Big 12 puts up a lot of numbers, but they're hollow compared to the NFL. Josh Allen coming out of Wyoming, very raw, similar to Trey Lance, where there's not a lot of film on him. He does a lot of things well. He'll flash, but also he will have some, Shades were like, what in the world is this guy doing? Very raw, had to develop. 
Buffalo had Sean McDermott. Again, they were also a playoff team the year before Terod Taylor. They had a foundation and a culture in place that kind of allowed Josh Allen to settle in there. He wasn't putting the entire team on his back, and he grew and developed to where in 2020 we saw him really explode onto the scene, put all of those tools and all the skills he was working on and refining the first two years, and he put it all together in year number three. And again, as we saw the Buffalo Bills go to the AFC title game. So solid foundations both in Kansas City and Buffalo. A lot of both of those guys that they drafted projects in some sense to th- uh, flourish and thrive on their own timeline. Well, now you look at what the 49ers at number three have. They have all of that same foundation, all of those pieces in place for Trey Lance to develop and follow in the same path as Mahomes and Allen. I mean, if you look at it and you read the draft, um, the draft scatter reports, Trey Lance commonly and most frequently is the guy of, of these five quarterbacks going in the first round. He is the one where scouts say the most he needs a year to develop. He needs a year to sit and learn, learn the offensive system, learn basically how to be an NFL quarterback. Because he's so raw, he only played really one year as a redshirt freshman in North Dakota State before playing in that one showcase game in 2020. But essentially, he's been a starter for one year at North Dakota State. He is a guy that is talented, but raw. He needs to sit for a year and learn. Well, guess what? If he goes to San Francisco number three, I understand Jimmy G is on the trading block. And they want a first-round pick for him. I think I know and you know, not many teams, if any team, is going to give up a first-round pick for Jimmy Garoppolo. Forget just skill-wise because of his availability or lack thereof. So the 49ers, most likely, I'll say 99% are not going to get a first-round pick back for Jimmy Garoppolo. So why not hold on to Jimmy G, have him, if you still believe in him, have him start the year, maybe even have him finish the year similar to the way Alex Smith did in Kansas City, where they made the playoffs under Andy Reid, struggled, went out, but at least they gave, in, that, in Kansas City, at least Patrick Holmes a year to learn under a consummate pro, understand the system, and be ready to go in year two. You can do that with Trey Lance here in year one. To where Jimmy G plays, he learns for a year, let's say, and next offseason they trade Jimmy G, cut him, do whatever you got to do. Now it's Trey Lance's team. Well, he walks into a team or walks onto a team, I should say, as a starter in year number two with an elite offensive line, solid receivers to throw the ball to, arguably the best tight end in the NFL as a security blanket, and you have a tremendous, tremendous run game with obviously a very creative head coach in Kyle Shanahan that puts quarterbacks in positions to succeed. So to me, everything is there in place similar to the way it was in Kansas City, similar to the way it was in Buffalo, where you took these projects, these quarterbacks with a lot of arm talent, with a lot of just athleticism and pure talent, but very rough around the edges, needs refinement, and you were able in Kansas City and Buffalo to do that. I think you can do the same thing in San Francisco with what you have, the infrastructure you have in place to develop a project. To me, that's one reason why I think it makes sense for the 49ers to draft Trey Lance number three. Number two, when you look at the trade package, that San Francisco gave up. I think it gives some hints here of what they're looking for. They gave up a lot to get their guy at number three, right? To go from 12 to three, they gave the Dolphins the number 12 pick. They also gave them two first round picks after that in 2022 and 2020, uh, 2023. And they also gave up a third round pick as well. They gave up a ton of draft capital. So when you're making that trade up, when you are basically mortgaging your future to go all in and you believe you can get a guy at number three, for all that, you are trying to draft a guy that transcends the NFL. That forget that could just be there for 10, 15 years. You believe you can get a guy at number three that will make the, you know, get into the upper echelon of 
of NFL quarterback play. Not just be, you know, a top 12, top 10 kind of guy. This could be a top three, top five quarterback in the NFL year in and year out. And when you look at, you know, at least early on, those reports of Mac Jones, Mac Jones, Mac Jones, it makes sense in one sense because Mac Jones, really outside of Trevor Lawrence, is the most ready NFL quarterback now. Any scouting report you read, it, it raves about Mac Jones' decision-making, his footwork, his timing, his, his smarts in the pocket. He is the most pro-ready quarterback outside of Trevor Lawrence in this quarterback draft. So it makes sense that, hey, if the 49ers get him at number three, he's a guy who can step in day one and be the starter in San Francisco. He can come in there and try to win right now. And look, I like the roster the 49ers have. I truly think this is a Super Bowl-caliber team with the way the team is assembled right now. They were hurt a ton last year, but they returned a lot of the players from two years ago to help them make the Super Bowl. A lot of their key players on offense and defense are still very young and kind of coming to their prime. So I really like the way the 49ers are situated. I think truly if they draft Mac Jones, they could make a, a run to the Super Bowl or at least be in contention. But with that said, you are making this move from 12 to 3. You are drafting a quarterback not only for 2021, not only for 2022, but you're drafting a quarterback at this point, and you're making this move for to have a quarterback in 2025, in 2030, where he can be your guy going forward. There's no doubt about the position for the next 10 to 15 years. Here is what I have my doubts about with Mac Jones. Can he still be the guy? Can he still be a Russell Wilson-type quarterback or an Aaron Rodgers-type quarterback if he doesn't have the elite pieces around him? For me, personally, when I look at Mac Jones, when I watch his tape, when I watch Alabama this year, I think, not that he's a bad quarterback, I think he's a product of the talent around him. When you have an elite offensive line like Alabama did, when you have elite receivers, an elite running game, an elite defense, when everything around you is the best it could possibly be on the college level, you're going to be a pretty damn good quarterback. But I don't know what Mac Jones is like when he doesn't have the best receiver in the game, when he doesn't have the best coaches in the game, where he doesn't have the best offensive line in the game, where he doesn't have the best running back in the game. I don't know what he is. So as you give up draft capital and, you know, guys, as we know, good teams, if they have players up for free agency, you can't keep everybody. If the team, let's say, takes a hit in two or three years where you lose one or two key pieces, can Mac Jones be the guy that can elevate the team around him and make lesser players better just by his play? I don't think so. I truly don't think so. So when I look at Trey Lance and his potential that he has, you hear it from almost in unison from scouts alike. Every scouting point you read, this guy is the most potential of anyone in the draft. He is the highest upside of any quarterback in the draft. The key is patience, development. As we know, plenty of projects get taken, a ton bust. And remember the guys like Josh Allen and Patrick Holmes were thinking, oh, it will work out. Not everyone can turn out to be like Patrick Holmes and Josh Allen. But I truly do believe the 49ers have the infrastructure in place. They have the system and the solid foundation in place to where they can take a raw talent like Trey Lance at number three. Go all in on a guy who is a project, but have enough confidence that this team is so good. Kyle Shannon is such a good coach that even if he sits for a year and comes in in 2022, he will be ready to go to elevate this team to a level Jimmy G has been able to lift this team to, to a level Matt Ryan when Kyle Shannon's with the Falcons, wasn't able to lift the team to. Even when he was in, in Washington, to level Kirk Cousins, couldn't lead the team to. To me, Trey Lance would be the first quarterback that could truly take over a Kyle Shannon system and not have just a, a quarterback be successful because of uh, the Shanahan system, but take it to the next level. B 
the elite of the elite to where even Trey Lance can make the Shanahan system look good. So for me, now you hear reports, it's down to two, Mac Jones, Trey Lance. I am taking Trey Lance if I'm the 49ers. I think they should take Trey Lance. I think they will take Trey Lance. He can reach that upper echelon, that top five, that top three level of quarterback play in the NFL in three, four, five years from now. I truly do think he can. The 49ers have all the pieces in place to where you get a developmental quarterback, even if he has to sit for a year, even if they keep Jimmy G. I think the blueprint is there, and I truly do think that this is a guy that can come in and have a lot of success in San Francisco. So let's hear your thoughts. It is down to two now, Mac Jones or Trey Lance. Who should the 49ers in your mind take at number three? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Plenty of ways to get involved in the show. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Twitter, you can tweet us at WWSRN underscore radio or at Ryan Hickey Show. If you're listening on any of those platforms, either Facebook or Twitter, comment right there on the live stream. There's comment section on both Facebook and Twitter. Love to hear your thoughts. Mac Jones or Trey Lance, who should the 49ers take in your mind at number three? Well, get your thoughts. And when we come back, there was a big trade in the NFL on Friday. The Ravens and the Chiefs. I have a question. Why in the world would the Ravens help out the Chiefs? I'm trying to go through it in my mind. I need answers. I don't have one. Maybe you have an answer. We'll discuss it next. It is the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back in to the Ryan Hickey Show with you right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, going until 11 a.m. Eastern. Just discussing if you have any thoughts, any of you just joining us. Ian Rapport of the NFL Network last night reporting that the, the 49ers, right? Many questions, many, a lot of mysteries surrounding their pick at number three. Who will they take? Mac Jones, just, uh, Justin Fields, Trey Lance. William Rapport is reporting that is now down to two. Trey Lance or Mac Jones? So in your mind, who do you think the 49ers should take at number three? For me, the answer is Trey Lance. I think the upside is there. I think they have the foundation and the infrastructure in place to replicate what Kansas City did with Patrick Mahomes, to replicate what Buffalo did with Josh Allen, where you take a rough prospect, rough around the edges, a lot of natural talent, ton of athleticism, and you mold him into a quarterback that can use all of his talents for good. Some bad qualities about Trey Lance. Um, I think the 49ers are a team that could really take Trey Lance and, and put him into the upper echelon of a top five, top three quarterback in the NFL in a few years. To me, that's why you go for the upside. You make a big, bold trade like they did going from 12 to three. You go for the upside. To me, that's Trey Lance. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Facebook, you can comment on Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Uh, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well if you want to tweet us directly or comment on the live stream that's also on, on Facebook and or Twitter. We're on YouTube as well, Worldwide Sports Radio Network if you want to listen and comment on YouTube as well. We have a live stream going as well on that platform. So we will circle back to some draft talk in an hour from now. Matt Lombardo, fan-sided NFL insider, columnist. We'll discuss who he has, the 49ers taking a few other um, moves as well. And we will get into a trade that went down on Friday. Now, I need your help, the audience. I need your help in, in the, really the worst way possible. When I saw this trade go down, in case you missed it, 
the Baltimore Ravens, they traded um, Orlando Brown Jr., a tackle on their team. They traded him to the Kansas City Chiefs. We'll get to the, the trade, you know, um, specifics in a second here. But I need your help because I don't get this move at all. I don't get it from the Ravens' perspective. I don't see how that benefits Baltimore. I don't see the benefit of trading with your biggest competitor in the NFL, in the AFC, and how it benefits you. So I need your help. If you like this trade from Baltimore's perspective, if you understand it and you get it, please, please explain to me. Because honestly, I can't find a reasoning to justify this trade. But again, with this show, it's a lot of back and forth. I'd love to hear your feedback and your opinions. And hell, you know, on half the topics, you guys are probably smarter than me anyway. So I'll have to hear your thoughts. If you can rationalize, if you can justify why, if you're the Ravens, you would make a trade with the Chiefs, with your biggest competitor, and how it makes sense for you, please let me know. Facebook, Worldwide Sports or Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. Tweet me your thoughts, right on the live stream on Facebook, right on the live stream on Facebook, uh, on YouTube, right on the live stream on, on Twitter as well. Love to hear your thoughts. Because I don't get it. Right? Like, why would you help out your competitor if it means you're gonna hurt your it's gonna hurt your team? Mate, like Growing up, if you had a big brother or a big sister, or I guess at this point, if you had a little brother or a little sister, like I did, I would never cater the rules. I would never try to help out, in my case, my younger sister, if we were playing sports, because we were very competitive growing up, whether it was basketball, baseball, soccer, whatever, any tennis, checkers, whatever, any board game. I would never, if, let's say if she couldn't do one thing, couldn't make a layup, or struggle with checkers. I would never outline the rules or do something that would benefit her to make her give, you know, to give her a better chance of beating me. Absolutely not. You win at all costs. You want to maintain that dominance if you're the older brother, older sister, and kind of just show, hey, look, you want to come at me, you could take a swing, but I'm still the best at this, 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 and this, and this. So I can never picture myself helping out my younger sister in anything that we do to give her some sort of edge or to make her more competitive. So when I look at what the, the, the Ravens and the Chiefs are doing, I don't understand how, if you're the Ravens' perspective, how it makes any sense to help out a team in the Chiefs that is struggling right now. And I don't get how this trade makes you, the Ravens, any more closer to, comp- uh, to competing for a Super Bowl and getting there. So again, they traded the Ravens at Orlando Brown Jr. to the Chiefs. They traded Orlando Brown Jr. a second-round pick and a sixth-round pick and they got back in return from Kansas City uh, first, third, fourth, and fifth. Now, this is why it makes absolutely no sense for me. As we saw, the last game we saw the Kansas City Chiefs, what happened? Their offensive line, now, granted, there were injuries, but their offensive line got mauled, got destroyed, just got owned by Tampa Bay's defense. Patrick Holmes was running for his life on practically every snap. I think it was white. Patrick Mahomes scrambled for over 500 yards, just running back and forth behind the line of scrimmage because every single play, there's a rusher trying to take him down. He was pressured officially 29 times by the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl. Guess what? That is a Super Bowl record. So as we saw, the offensive line, especially because injuries to both their tackles, Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz, uh, missed the game, the Super Bowl, for different injury reasons. But as we saw, the offensive line from the Chiefs was reeling, was struggling. Then even in the offseason, they made a ton of different moves to basically shore up that offensive line. They cut Mitchell Schwartz. They cut Eric Fisher. And they did address the interior of the offensive line. They signed Kyle Long at a retirement. They, shot, they signed Joe Tooney. 
from um, New England for a big contract in free agency. So they were overhauling their offensive line. But as we saw, the kryptonite to the Chiefs was if you can get to Patrick Mahomes, basically walk in and get by all these turnstiles that were the uh, Chiefs' offensive line, you have a legitimate chance to beat them. And if you're Baltimore, if you are Buffalo, if you are the Colts or the Browns, the blueprint was there. This offensive line is banged up. They are in flux right now. They are struggling to protect Patrick Mahomes, and they are struggling to find guys, whether in the draft or free agency or in a trade, to get guys to block for Patrick Mahomes. And now on Friday here, this trade go down, and this to me is Baltimore throwing a life raft to Kansas City. Oh, hey, Chiefs, I know you've gone to the Super Bowl the last two years in a row. You've dominated the AFC really since Patrick Holmes became the starter. 2018, 2019, 2020, the worst finish the Chiefs had was the AFC title game at home in overtime when the Patriots beat them to go to the Super Bowl. Since then, back-to-back Super Bowl appearances, they have dominated the AFC. Hey, Chiefs, us the Ravens over here, I see you've been struggling. I see Patrick Holmes running for his life. I saw you cut both tackles that you had that you know could have been there for a while. You need help? You need a tackle? Sure. Here's a life raft. Here, take our young tackle in Orlando Brown Jr. So that way you can shore up your offensive line. So that way you can give Patrick Mahomes time. You can allow him to find his receivers. You can allow Tyreek Hill to run down the field. You can allow Travis Kelsey to run a 15-yard route and give Patrick Mahomes time to hit those guys. I, someone has to explain this to me because if you are now are the Ravens and you see an opening, a crack in the door, say, oh, look, hey, there's a weakness from the Chiefs. Maybe we can slide in here, make our Super Bowl run, make our presence known in the AFC. Instead, you helped out your biggest competitor. Because according to PFF, Orlando Brown Jr. now drafted and played mostly right tackle in his career in Baltimore, but when Ronnie Stanley got hurt about midway through the year and missed the time, Orlando Brown Jr. slid over from right tackle to left tackle, and guess what? According to PFF, Orlando Brown Jr. last year played in 389 pass-blocking snaps. Guess how many sacks he allowed in those 389 pass-blocking snaps? Zero. Zero. So you now have a guy going over to Kansas City to protect Patrick Mahomes' blind side that's pretty damn good at doing so. Why would you do that? Can anyone explain to me how that makes any sense for Baltimore when you give them a young player to help shore up a, the biggest weakness on their team? This, the offensive line is by far the biggest weakness right now of the Chiefs' uh, team. And they were scrambling, they were searching, they didn't like the depth uh, of tackle in the draft. And this, you know, we're going to go get a young guy here. And the Ravens said, hey, come get ours. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll help shore up it and make sure it's easier for you to get to three straight Super Bowls. Someone's got to explain it to me. Now, look, I'll say this from the Ravens' perspective. I understand why they made the trade and moved on from Orlando Brown. Not making the trade to the Chiefs, but just in general. Because remember in the offseason, Orlando Brown Jr. came out and basically requested a trade publicly because he wants to play left tackle. That's, he, he's smart. He knows where the money is. Right, uh, left tackles get paid a hell of a lot more than right tackles. And on the Ravens, at least, you had Ronnie Stanley there as a legitimate young left tackle. So that dream of Orlando Brown playing left tackle in the NFL was not going to happen on the Ravens. So fine, I see from Baltimore's perspective, you have a disgruntled right tackle. He wants to play left. You don't have room for him. You want to trade him and get something back. Fine. But here's what I don't understand. How you trade him to any team. Or, I'm sorry, here's what I don't understand. How you trade him to the Chiefs. 
You could have traded him to any of the other 30 teams in the NFL, and it would make sense. The one team I feel like you cannot trade him to was the Kansas City Chiefs, and that's what the Ravens did. Even if, even if it comes back and we hear the offers that the Chiefs had the best offer on the table for Orlando Brown Jr., it still doesn't make much sense. Because guess what? If I'm the Ravens, if I'm Eric DaCosta, their general manager, if I'm John Harbaugh, their head coach, I am trading Orlando Brown Jr., and I'm getting less back to trade him to the Washington football team, to trade him to the Cowboys or wherever, the Seahawks. Name your team. I'd rather get less back, a second-round pick, a third-round pick, than get a first-round pick back from the Chiefs and give them Orlando Brown Jr., a solid tackle that if he plays well, even, in the, even though he's in his last year of his deal, Chiefs will have no problem extending him and keep him there for the next decade. He's only 24 years old. He's not 35. He's not 33. He is 24. So if he plays well, the Chiefs will have absolutely no problem giving this guy a big contract and keeping him there as the anchor of that offensive line for the next decade. And even though you got a first-round pick back in return if you're Baltimore, you gave up a second in return. So really, how great is that value of a first-round pick? You give up your second, you got the Chiefs first. In theory, you moved up 27 spots, if you want to look, want to look at it that way. That's all. You made a trade where you move up 27 spots, and you give your biggest competitor a young offensive lineman that they desperately, desperately needed. I don't get how this makes any sense for the Ravens. I don't get how this makes them any better or gets them any closer to reaching a Super Bowl and taking down the Chiefs. You had an opening, you had an area to where you could exploit in a weak offensive line, and you threw him a life raft. Hey, Shark, it's me, the fish over here. I know you, you, know, you want to eat me. Your, your left tooth looks a little dull. I can really slip out of it. Come over here. Let, let me sharpen that up for you. Oh, your fin looks a little whack. Let me, let me untangle that for you. Let me, let me get you back on your feet here and feel 100%. What, what sense does it make to help out your biggest competitor and throw them a life raft? Give them a chance to get back on their feet and be at full strength as close as possible next year. Doesn't make any sense. So if you're the, uh, if you're the Chiefs, this is a home run hire for you. This is a home run trade for you. But if you're the Ravens, it makes zero, zero sense. If you're the Bills, I'm pissed. If you're the Browns, I'm pissed. If you're the Colts, I'm pissed. If you're the Chargers, I am furious with the Ravens. Because you at least could hold your hat on to and have a glimmer of hope that, hey, offensive line of the Chiefs is in flux. You know, they're bringing back a, a, a guard in Kyle Long that was in retirement. They signed, they signed Joe Tooney, which is nice, but right now their tackle, especially left tackle, is a question mark. They not, you know, may not be able to address it in the draft. They might have some issues. They might have some problems protecting Patrick Holmes. This is our chance. This is our chance with the team we have right now to make a run for the Super Bowl, to kick down that little opening that the Chiefs gave us and make our move. If you're the Ravens, I think to me that they are right there in the conversation. And instead, you bail out your biggest competitor, your biggest roadblock to the Super Bowl. It doesn't make any sense to me. So if you could justify this, I'd love to hear why. I'm not going to yell at you. I'm, I'm genuinely interested in how this trade makes any sense if you are the Baltimore Ravens. How does this trade make you any better 
going forward in 2021 and beyond by giving the Chiefs a 24-year-old tackle. That as long as he plays well, again, in 389 pass-blocking snaps last year allowed zero sacks. Zero sacks is now going to protect Patrick Mahomes' blind side, possibly for the next decade. Do they know something? They must know something. I hope they do, that we don't. That somehow they think this guy's going to stink. But I just don't see it happening. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Can you make any sense of Orlando Brown Jr., of the Ravens uh, trading a young tackle to the biggest need that the Chiefs had to their biggest competitor holding them back from a Super Bowl? So I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you can justify it, please let me know. Facebook Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show, if you want to tweet me there as well. Comment on Facebook, comment on Twitter. Please, someone explain to me how this makes any sense in the Ravens helping out the Chiefs, throwing them a lifeline, and bailing them out. So get your thoughts. If you can justify this trade at all, I'd love to hear why. And when we do return, I do want to bring back a segment we did in football season that you know kind of stopped, but I think it is, at least for today's show, I think worthy of bringing back. And that's a little quick hits. We'll call them quick hitters here. A few different things happened over the weekend in sports I want to touch on, including... A no-hitter in baseball that wasn't. Should it count? Should it not count? We'll discuss that next. It is the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back Welcome to the back Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Ryan Hickey Show with you right here on this gorgeous Monday morning, taking you till 11 a.m. Eastern. Matt Lombardo, fan-sided NFL insider columnist, joining us at 10.20 Eastern. How many, if any, running backs should be drafted in the first round? Do that in 15 minutes, top of the hour. We'll circle back to our conversation we had to start the show. Who should the 49ers take, Mac Jones or Trey Lanton? Now there's another storyline that has developed since the news came out that the 49ers are down to two, we'll tell you how that affects another team in the draft and maybe their potential move or not to make. But I do kind of want to quickly here touch on a few different topics that have gone on in the sports world here over the weekend. We'll bring a, we'll bring a segment out of retirement. Usually we do quick hits normally in football season to get, you know, kind of touch on maybe one or two storylines that you know, we're not going to spend 15 minutes on, but I'd also don't want to ignore as well, spend a few minutes on. Three different things I thought happened over the weekend in sports that I kind of want to touch on. Most are positive. So let's, let's bring some positivity to the show right here um, on the Worldwide Sports on Eric. Number one, I want to give props to Trevor Bauer, a lightning rod pitcher in baseball, a guy who flirted with my team in the Mets, kind of even teased Mets fans that, hey, I'm going to sign here, and then did a quick, you know, about face, uh, Quick heel turn, if you will, to use a few WWE terms. I hope I'm even using those correctly. Not the big WWE fan, but I think those are two terms here that, that do fit what Trevor Bauer did, and he did end up signing with the Dodgers. But I do want to give him a lot of credit, because he is someone who is a showman, right? He is someone who exudes a lot of passion on the mound. He's not afraid to, to express himself, whether it's good, whether it's bad. He has plenty of instances, and because of that passion, that emotion that he shows on the field, it has brought him to, you know, brought fans liking him, brought fans hating him. But I want to give him a lot of credit here because he, one thing he's not, is a hypocrite, and here's what I mean by that. So the Dodgers-Padres series, again, round number two this weekend, was incredible. 
best rivalry right now in all of baseball, in my mind. But on Saturday, you had Bauer pitching against the Dodgers. He allowed two home runs to Fernando Tatis, two solo shots. Well, the first home run that he allowed in the first inning to lead off the game, Fernando Tatis Jr. hits the home run, rounds first base, and if you're watching the stream, kind of covers his eye like this. You know, if you're at the doctor's office and say, hey, look at the board, read line number three, and you put the one hand over the eye. He did that. Now, why he did that, not, he was not closing his eyes and hitting a home run at the plate. He did that to mock Trevor Bauer, because back in spring training, there was an inning where the Dodgers were playing the Padres in spring training, and for one inning, Trevor Bauer kind of pitched with one eye open, just one eye. Closed one eye. Still don't really know the reason for it, but it's Trevor Bauer. He does a lot of wacky things. So, Fernando Tatis Jr., remembered that, didn't forget it, and when he hit a home run off of Trevor Bauer in a game that counts, mind you, not spring training, he let Trevor Bauer know, hey, you want to pitch with us with one open, maybe better you work with two. And after the game, because as we know now, right, when any player celebrates a home run, when it's a big bat flip, maybe he takes his time running the bases. Maybe he's too loud on the dugout or too excited to hit a home run. What normally happens? A player gets hit, right? Pitchers throw at the hitters trying to send a message to the game, really, baseball prides itself on policing the game themselves, right? To where if something happens on the field where a player slides in too hard or maybe pimps a home run or is chirping too much, pitchers will throw out the batter, send a message. You know what Trevor Bauer did not do on Saturday? He didn't throw at Fernando Tatis. He didn't throw at Manny Machado to send a message. He didn't throw at any Dodger hitters to send a message. Uh, Padre hitters send a message, excuse me. And after the game, he praised praised Fernando Tatis for the celebration. So that's what baseball needs. We need more celebration, more players celebrating their accomplishments because hitting a home run is hard and less pitchers being sensitive, less pitchers basically throwing at batters to get upset. He is trying to push the movement to allow players to express themselves. And I give him a lot of credit because he's a guy who, again, when things are going well, he's very vocal on the mound, very passionate, shows a lot of emotion, will scream when things are going well, not afraid to talk trash. And to his credit, even when now the shoe's in the other foot, when he's the one that is on the other end of serving up a home run and the player is celebrating, he goes, you know what? Here I am celebrating. You have the right to celebrate as well because if I can get fired up, you can get fired up. So good for Trevor Bauer because that's really the first time we've heard a pitcher, especially a pitcher of his stature, right, being one of the best pitchers in the game, to where he's advocating for batters. Guys, he's trying to strike out advocating them to celebrate if you hit a home run off me. Good for you, man. I'm not going to throw at you. I'm not one of those pitchers that gets upset and, and sensitive. If I do, it's on me to strike you out the next time. It's on me to not give you an opportunity to celebrate, which ha- that's really how the mindset should be, right? If you're that upset about a player celebrating a home run, don't allow a home run. Don't give him the opportunity to celebrate. And I give Trevor Bauer a lot of credit after the game for basically saying that. Right? You never really hear pitchers kind of giving props to batters and not, not saying he enjoyed the celebration, but enjoying the fact that players are expressing themselves. So give props, a lot of props to Trevor Bauer, a guy who, again, lightning rod, very polarizing player in baseball. But he truly, though, I think in his heart of hearts, does want what's best for baseball, marketing, advertising-wise, and I think players expressing themselves is part of that reason. Good for Trevor Bauer on that. We had a return to the court. Kevin Durant. Excuse me, after missing a week of games, he got hurt last Sunday with a thigh contusion, missed a week of games. He returned to the court yesterday against the Suns. Now, I mean, in classic KD fashion, he returns and drops 33 points in 28 minutes. Comes off the bench, comes off the bench in the second quarter, 
and then kind of basically shows you there's no rust there. There is no trying to get back into the rhythm. He comes in after missing a week off the bench, 28 minutes, drops 33 points, looked smooth, looked natural, did not look like he's in any pain. Now, this is not a knock on Kevin Durant, but this is another question that I kind of had in my thought because if you listen to the show, I am not a Nets believer. I don't think that they will make the finals in part, not because they're talent. I do question, and I think we won't be able to see it until the playoffs start. I do question how this team responds to adversity. Kevin Durant, as we've seen, very petty, very passive aggressive. He rather confronts you on social media than confronts you in, in, in person. So I don't, I don't think if things get rough, I don't think he's the leader to kind of bring the team together and get him out of it. Kyrie Irving, I don't see being the leader either to rally the team if they go in an 0-2 hole or down 3-2. And James Harden, I think, is very passive. He is not the leader that you need. We've seen that in plenty of instances in Houston. So I question more the leadership and how they respond to adversity in the playoffs as the reason why I don't think the Nets will make a run to the finals and or win the finals. But there's another concern that I have now, and when you look at it, I think it's valid. Will this team even, forget be healthy, stay healthy in the playoffs? I was kind of looking at Kevin Durant's game logs this year. Do you know, do you want to take a guess quickly here? How many consecutive games in a row Kevin Durant has played at one time? So this year, how many games, what was the most amount of games in a row he has played consecutively without missing a game for rest or injury? The answer is only six. And that was back in mid to early January. The most amount of games he's ever played in a row consecutively this season is six games. So now, when you watch Kevin Durant go with thigh contusion, that, look, maybe it's more serious than we thought. On the replay, when it happened against the Heat last Sunday, to me, it looked like a classic dead leg. If you've ever gotten, you know, a knee to the thigh, it bruises up, it swells a little bit, but, you know, you'll get a bruise there. It's tight for a little bit, but it's just a classic dead leg, classic Charlie horse. Nothing more than that. He missed a week. And this year, in totality, if he's only played six games in a row, can we really expect and should we be expecting that Kevin Durant can play a full playoff series, let alone play four playoff series in a row and stay on the court for all four? I, I mean, I can't feel confident right now in saying that. Now, to the Nets' credit, they played pretty well in his absence. But now as the playoffs ratchet up and we're starting to get closer, James Harden, as we know, obviously trying to come back from the hamstring injury, maybe won't even return before the playoffs? So now you have a guy who possibly could try to work his way back into rotation come playoff time. You have Kyrie Irving who's been there, takes leaves his absences, but for the most part, injury-wise, has been pretty healthy. And Kevin Durant, who again, has played consecutively the most this game this year has played six. So there should be legitimate, legitimate concern if Kevin Durant can even stay healthy to get to this playoff run. It's something that is very fascinating to see. Again, we won't know until the playoffs start. But something definitely I'm going to keep an eye on for sure. I think every fan should keep an eye on because that could be the thing holding the Nets back. And we'll see. And finally, we just praised baseball. We praised Trevor Bauer for his thoughts on allowing Tatis Jr. to celebrate a home run and encouraging that kind of behavior. Something I think is very good for the game of baseball. Of course, though, we can't go a week in baseball without talking about some sort of controversy that they bring on themselves. And that happened yesterday. So in case you missed it, the Diamondbacks and the Braves played a doubleheader yesterday. So why is that important? So if you remember going back from last year, Major League Baseball changed their rules for doubleheader, where now if you have a doubleheader, the games are seven innings each, right? That was last year, 
to kind of get the players out of the stadium as quickly as possible to prevent a COVID outbreak potentially to where they thought, hey, the less we're on the field, the less that the virus can get spread. So if someone unfortunately does test positive, we don't pick it up. It's four less innings in theory that they could be around each other to spread the virus. And they carried that rule over into 2021. And let, yesterday we had that two seven-inning games between the Diamondbacks and the Braves. Well, why is that significant? Because guess what happened yesterday? Madison Bumgarner, pitcher for the Diamondbacks, throws a no-hitter. A complete game, seven-inning shutout where he does not allow a hit. Now, here's the issue. Officially, that won't count in the record books as a no-hitter. It's not. Major League Baseball won't recognize it as a no-hitter. Madison Bumgarner himself didn't even really celebrate like he threw a no-hitter. He kind of was like, ah, I don't even know if this counts or not. And you go back to 1991, this is really where the rule comes in place. This is not last year, new rule change. This has been in place since 1991 where the MLB Stats Committee, they have a committee for stats, for stuff like this, ruled that a no-hitter has to be at least nine innings long. So I guess if you have a no-hitter through seven and there's a rain delay and the game gets rained out and called, you can't have a seven-inning no-hitter and have it be rain-shortened. But here's my thing. Because Major League Baseball actively changed the rules for the doubleheader to where the win counts, right? The Diamondbacks won both games. They got two wins in the books, whether they played seven innings, whether they played nine innings, whether they played 18 innings each game. The win counts the same for Arizona in the stats, in the record books. So why can't we count performances the same way? To me, that's a no-hitter. It should go in the books as a no-hitter. Madison Bumgarner, I don't care if it was seven innings, officially threw a no-hitter in baseball. you got to update the rules. Because I understand when Major League Baseball, again, this is back in 1991, way before seven-inning doubleheaders were even a thought in anyone's mind. I understand why you don't want a game that's range-shortened to seven or eight innings or even five innings and officially called. If you have a no-hitter, I understand why you don't want that in the record books, Right? But now when you are major base, when you actively change the rules for a doubleheader because you make them seven innings by your choosing, the players are agreed with it, the league agreed with it, all right, we're going to do seven-inning doubleheaders for 2021. Well, you got to make sure the stats reflect that. And if these games are official, whatever happens in those games is official. If someone hits three or four home runs in a game, is there an asterisk there? Because, oh, you know, seven-inning seven inning game, you know, so we can't count it in the record books if you have someone, let's say, who hits 10 home runs in a game. So why are we all of a sudden not counting no hitters? Everything else about that game is official. Right? Players go 2 for 3, go 0 for 4. They don't get wiped out because it's only a 7-inning doubleheader. No, it goes in the record books. If you hit for the cycle, it goes in the record books as you hit a cycle. I understand pitching and hitting is different. But if everything else about the rules to where the game counts the same as a 7-inning doubleheader as it does a 9-inning game, records for pitching should count as well. They absolutely should count as well. So props to you, Madison Bumgarner. In your mind, you absolutely threw no hitter yesterday. Major League Baseball absolutely should recognize this as history. It's kind of ridiculous that they don't. Update the rules. Let's get with the times here. If you actively change the length of games, you should actively change the rules to allow if records are broken in that shortened game because of what you did. It wasn't Mother Nature shortening the game. It wasn't some force of God where, you know, something bad happens and the game has to be stopped right there. This is you actually changing the rules. You got to update the rule book as well. To me, Madison Bumgarner threw a no-hitter yesterday. 
which would be the third no-hitter thrown already in this short season. Really shows you how much further ahead the pitching is to the hitting. And if you look also at the, the Braves, talk about just quickly here, a brutal doubleheader. They got one hit in the entirety of the doubleheader. Freddie Freeman had a single in the sixth inning of the first game. That was it. Bumgarner pitched game two. The Braves in 14 innings against the Diamondbacks registered one hit. Brutal. But congrats to you. In my mind, Madison Bumgarner made history. The MLB rule books should reflect so as well. Kind of ridiculous that they don't. But that's classic, classic baseball where even when things go right, there's always some sort of controversy there that brings us back to some dumb rules. So let's your thoughts. Did Madison Bumgarner, in your mind, throw a no-hitter yesterday? Seven innings, officially a seven-inning game because it's a doubleheader. He couldn't go any further. Does he deserve to be recognized in the record books as throwing a no-hitter? Or in your mind, does it have to be nine innings? Does it have to be nine innings or more to be a no-hitter? Love to hear your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show as well. When we come back, to draft a running back, or not draft a running back, the most marginalized position in all sports, is it worth using a first-round pick on a running back and why there's one team, only one team in my mind, that could justify uh, drafting a receiver, a running back in round number one. I'll tell you who that team is when the Ryan Hickey Show returns right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Hour number two of the Ryan Hickey Show with you right here, taking you till 11 a.m. Eastern. One hour down, one to go. We appreciate you joining us on a Monday morning right here, exclusively on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Matt Lombardo, fan side of the NFL insider. Joining us in 15 minutes from now, seemingly the 49ers are down to two options at the number three overall pick. Trey Lance or Mac Jones would get Matt's thoughts. Is Kyle Pitts the, the surest thing in this draft? Could one team make a big move now that Justin Fields seemingly is out of the running for number three? Could that really trigger um, a team trading up to make a big move for Fields? A lot going on here in the NFL as we are just three days away. From the NFL draft, very exciting stuff. Excited to have Matt on board. As a reminder, we're coming to you live, as we always are, from the Big Italy Pizza Studios. And it's great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners. Check out Big Italy Pizzeria in person in Medford, Joe's Pizzeria in Bayshore, Classic New York Pizza Joint in Bayshore, or online at BigItalyPizza.com. So before we get to Matt, I want to ask a classic draft question. Should any team in the NFL draft a running back in the first round? A seemingly dumb question, maybe even five years ago. When you look at the position, running back has become the most marginalized position in the NFL. If you just talk plug and play, it is easier for a sixth round pick, for a fourth round pick, for an undrafted player to come in, get signed, and play running back and have success than arguably any other position in the sport. I mean, look at just last year. James Robinson for the Jaguars, undrafted running back, starts week one. Fifth leading rusher in the NFL, he had ran for 1,070 yards. When you dive, or I should say take a step back even further, let's look at the top five running backs in terms of yards gained last year in 2020. Derrick Henry led the way, second round pick. 
Calvin, uh, Calvin, Dalvin Cook, number two, second round pick. Jonathan Taylor, third in the NFL as a rookie in rushing yards. With the Colts, he was also a second round pick. Aaron Jones, fifth rounder. And finally, the fifth leading rusher in the NFL, David Montgomery, a third round draft pick. Three second round picks, a fifth round pick, and a third round pick with the top five leading rushers in the NFL last year. And you want to look, the first first round pick in the NFL last year, or I should say the highest a first round pick was in terms of rushing was Josh Jacobs at eighth. And you look at the last 10 years of the NFL, who was the leading rusher in each of the last 10 years? Only four times has a first-round pick that's been a running back led the NFL in rushing. It's only two guys. Ezekiel Elliott did it twice. Adrian Peterson did it twice. No other first-round running back the last 10 years has led the NFL in rushing. So the more stats I throw out there, the more it shows that, honestly, there is no real reason to draft a running back in the first round. You can easily have success with a guy in the second round, third round, fifth round, undrafted. Because these guys are so easy to find in such a plug-and-play position that it really doesn't make sense to use a first and pick a running back because you can get the same or equal production from a guy taken in much later rounds. So when we throw that out there, it is very hard, in my mind, to convince a team to draft a running back in the first round. To me, there is very specific qualifications that a team needs to have in order to kind of justify drafting running back in the first round. Have to be, in my mind, a championship team. And they have to basically have so everything else shored up to where, you know what, maybe you take the best player available. And because running back, because now teams are less and less inclined to draft a running back in the first round, maybe you do get a first-round talent, but he drops to 25 or 28 or 30. To where if it was five years ago, he would go in the top five. So to me, if you're a team that has most of your bases covered, to where you are a championship team and you want that extra up and for your quarterback, I think it makes all the sense in the world. For example, last year, I loved the Chiefs with the last pick in the first round, drafting Clyde edwards Lair. To me, that made a ton of sense. I loved the move when it was made. Didn't pan out maybe the way Chiefs fans were hoping in year number one, but there's still plenty of time for that resurgence to come about. I think he has all the skill sets that perfectly fit the Chiefs' offense. He could be a, a super weapon come year two, come year three. So I don't look at the NFL draft in 2021. That's going to go down in four days or three days now, I should say. Excuse me. There is only one team in my mind that kind of fits these qualifications of being a championship team, having most of their areas of need plugged up for the most part, that really could use a running back thing to kind of open up the offense more and maybe have it be the missing piece to a championship run. The only team in my mind that fits those qualifications that it would make sense for them to draft a running back in round one, the Buffalo Bills. Because they desperately, desperately need a game-breaker in that area. Right? If you look at last year, with all the success that Josh Allen had, that the Bills offense had, their running game wasn't a large part of that success. They were 20th in the NFL in rushing yards per game. They didn't have between Devin Singletary and Zach Moss, really the two running backs that they used the most, they didn't have a 100-yard rusher last year. And to be honest, when you hear the names Devin Singletary or Zach Moss, are they really giving defenses nightmares? When you are game planning for the Bills, you're looking at Josh Allen, you're looking at Stephon Diggs, now you're looking at Emmanuel Sanders, Cole Beasley. I don't even know if 
you know, if you're looking at guys who to take away the top five players on the Bills' offense, I don't think Devin Singletary even cracks that list of the top five. I think teams openly enjoy the fact if the Bills run the ball and try to run it off because it's just not that good. They, they don't bring much dynamic play to the offense, either, either in the run game or the pass game. Even though Devin Singletary was a smaller running back who, in theory, should flourish in the pass game, he wasn't really a big threat in the pass game. Didn't really do much up Josh Allen out to where you dump it off underneath and he's turning a five-yard pass into a 30-yard play. So if I'm the Bills, sure, maybe you could use an extra pass rusher or two, get after the quarterback. But other than that, if I look at really kind of what sells down the NFL with offenses being obviously the number one key to success, when you look at who you're going against, when you have that high-powered offense in Kansas City, when you look at the Ravens who did take a little bit of a step back in 2020, we'll see if they can turn it back around in 2021, but do have the MVP from two years ago in Lamar Jackson. They have an explosive offense. The, the Browns are really starting to build something to where I think in year two, Baker Mayfield will take a huge, huge step. There are some offenses here that are going to give you and going to be able to score a lot of points on you. Can you keep up? If read the Bills, if you draft Travis Etienne, the running back from Clemson, or if you draft Najee Harris from Alabama, I think either one of those guys can really kind of help put your offense, take it to the next level, the next gear, and really help Josh Allen's game in 2021 and beyond and really help make this Bills uh, offense even more dynamic, even more scary than it was in 2020. And we saw how much success they had in 2020. Because both of these guys, Etienne and Harris, are your prototypical 2021 NFL running backs. Right? They are strong. They are fast ball carriers. You have Etienne as a track star. That guy has tree trunks for legs. And good luck trying to tackle him. If he's in the open field, good luck trying to catch him. He's a home run hitter, but also he'll run over you and get those tough yards. Same thing with Najee Harris. A little bit slower, but super athletic. You see that highlight of him leaping over a Notre Dame defender in the college World playoff game. He's... He, again, is a truckload to take down, and he had a ton of success running over SEC defenses in 2020. So both are super strong, fast ball carriers, and guess what both of them also are? Tremendous threats in the passing game. Where, again, you dump off a screen to Travis Etienne or Najee Harris. They are taking that little five-yard pass, taking it 30 yards, 40 yards, 50 yards, 60 yards, touchdown. You weren't getting that from either Devin Singletary or Zach Moss. And not to mention, Zach Moss, because those two uh, running backs the Bills had last year, they, you know, they, were, they were different, right? Singletary's more the speedster, where you had Zach Moss more the powerful goal line back, if you will. Third and one, you're going to bring Zach Moss in to get those tough yards. Neither really had success in the role they were supposed to bring. Zach Moss didn't, well, I guess he was okay in goal line, but he, again, wasn't one of those guys that outside of a third and one or a third and goal, you're going to bring in and keep him on the field for three downs. And Devin Singletary, not really consistent, not really getting you going on a second and 10, getting a seven-yard gain. Wasn't too consistent. Again, even in the passing game, wasn't that big threat where defenses have to kind of worry about where he always is, like a Christian McCaffrey, like even a Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who you kind of always have to keep tabs on because he's just as dangerous in the passing game as as he is the run game. But that's what both Etienne and Harris present here for the Bills. That I think it makes total sense and would be a very smart move for either of those guys to get drafted by the Bills. Other than that, I don't really see any team in the first round drafting a running back that makes sense. The Steelers, I read a lot of Mac drafts. Really, two, if there were, it could be a second team because the Bills are a popular team to mock, uh, mock draft a running back to. The other team was the Steelers. 
to me, I don't see how that makes any sense because Najee Harris or Travis Etienne aren't improving the Steelers' running game because that offensive line is so banged up. They're, you know, they're right now going through a major transition where they're trying to replace three out of the five offensive linemen. Well, you got to do that by drafting more offensive linemen. Just me, despite the fact that the Steelers had the worst run game in the NFL last year, the worst run game, by far the worst, 32 out of 32 when it comes to running the ball. It makes sense for them to draft an offensive lineman because I don't think a running back, whether it's Etienne or Harris, despite the fact that I like both of them a lot, I think they both fit today's NFL game perfectly. That offensive line is so in flux right now, they don't, to me, make the running game any better. So to me, that's why there's only one team where it makes sense where you draft a running back in the first, and I think it's the Bills. And I think either Etienne or, or Harris, whatever one that they prefer, and could both be a great fit and unlock that offense, take it either even to the next level. I think it'd be a good pick. To me, that's the only only team in the NFL in the first round that makes sense to where a running back would go, and I wouldn't go crazy. Where it wouldn't be, eh, really? Is that really the best value you could do? With how easy it is we saw to get running backs in the second, third, fourth, fifth round and have them be successful. So when we come back, I'm very excited about Matt Lombardo on, fan-sided national NFL insider, columnist. Now that we are down to two seemingly for the 49ers, number three, Mac Jones or Trey Lance, who does Matt think the 49ers will take? Does he think? We talked about it earlier on the show. Is this Orlando Brown trade to the Chiefs? How does this benefit the Ravens at all? And is Kyle Pitts... As we get closer and closer to the draft, is he the surest thing out of any position for all prospects heading to the draft? We'll get Matt's thoughts on that and more next. It is the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back in to the Ryan Hickey Show with you right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network going until 11 a.m. Eastern. Three days before the NFL draft, and boy, the NFL has turned into a 365-day-a-year sport, and more and more headlines continue to crawl in as we get closer and closer to the draft. 49ers seemingly now are zeroing in on a quarterback. That, that could trigger some other moves, some other teams trading up. A lot of draft prospects to talk about. We have so much to get into here to now in three days from the draft. So no better person to bring out right now than fan-sided national NFL insider, also their columnist as well, host the Matt Lombardo Show podcast. It is the man we just named, Matt Lombardo. Matt, thanks for giving us a few minutes this morning. How are you? I'm great, Ryan. Thanks for having me on. Well, appreciate having uh, you coming. Like I said, it's a very busy um, time. We got a lot of trades going on, a lot of draft to uh, get into. So before we kind of circle back in and talk about some draft prospects and, and some things going on there, I do want to go back to Friday. We had a big trade between the Ravens and the Chiefs. The Ravens sent Orlando Brown Jr. to the Chiefs. They get back a first-round pick as well. I'm kind of curious, Matt, because you look at the Chiefs, right? Back-to-back Super Bowls, um, appearances from the AFC. They are the biggest roadblock in the way of the Ravens making the Super Bowl. How does this trade, how does sending a 24-year-old tackle to a team that desperately needs a tackle in the Chiefs, how does that benefit the Ravens in your mind? Yeah, I'm not sure how much this benefits Baltimore other than the fact that they might have been under the illusion that they weren't going to be able to get a long-term deal done with Orlando Brown. And you got to remember that they are 
certainly on the cusp of mm-hmm. putting together a long-term contract extension for Lamar Jackson. And once you pay a quarterback, it gets significantly harder to build around that quarterback. So I just don't know that given their salary cap situation that they looked around and figured that they'd be able to tie both of those guys up long-term at franchise quarterback and franchise tackle money. So that they wind up, you know, trading Orlando Brown, getting back a first round pick. And, you know, their belief is that at some point over the next two years, they can go and draft a tackle. But the the biggest winner here is the Chiefs. And I think that they're quietly one of the bigger winners of the offseason because they saw what happened. And GM Brett Beach watched what happened in that Super Bowl and saw Patrick Mahomes just get you know, knocked around and just relentlessly pressured by the Buccaneers defense. And they went out and they traded for Orlando Brown, a franchise tackle. They brought in Joe Thune, an all-pro offensive guard. They're getting back uh, DuVernay this offseason. So, you know, their offensive line is going to be significantly improved. And I think that they just propped their Super Bowl window even wider in Kansas City with that trade. I'm totally with you, which is why when I look at it from Baltimore's perspective, to your point, right, like Orlando Brown, one who wants to play left tackle being right tackle, it's not going to happen in Baltimore. I get that, sure. If you're afraid now that he enters his last year of the deal, that you're gonna, he's going to walk away and you get nothing for it. I get it from Baltimore's perspective for one to get ahead of that and, and trading Orlando Brown. But I look at it, Matt, and it's like to trade him to the Chiefs, you could have done it to any other team. But to almost throw the Chiefs a lifeline, to your point, the last time we saw, even though they are banged up, Kansas City, they couldn't protect Patrick Holmes. He's running for his life. I mean, even if the Chiefs are the only team to give you a first-round pick, wouldn't it make more sense to maybe get less to give them to, I don't know, let's just say Washington football team or the Seahawks or any other team that was interested? Wouldn't it make more sense to trade them somewhere else and get less back than, I mean, essentially help out your biggest competitor? Sure, but we don't know what those, if those offers came in, right? And mm-hmm. if Washington offered a third-round pick for Orlando Brown, I don't think that that's as appetizing as – a first-round pick from the Kansas City Chiefs, even if that first-round pick is pick 31 or 32. Um, so I think that, you know, you look at what they're, they're doing in Baltimore, I think they were trying to maximize value. And again, you know, if you're not going to be able to sign him long-term, getting something of value, and particularly a first-round pick, is the way to go. Um, you know, you can look at this another way. It's not like they traded him to the Cincinnati Bengals. It's not like they traded him to um, the Pittsburgh Steelers, one of their division rivals. And yes, they might run into them in the postseason, but it's not like the Kansas City Chiefs are going to be a roadblock to them getting to the postseason. So perhaps that organization believes that, you know, they might be a roadblock to the Super Bowl, but they'll take their chances, you know, beating Orlando Brown in a playoff situation rather than having to face them twice a year. Talking to Matt Lombardo, you can find his work at Matt Lombardo NFL on Twitter. So, Matt, you just mentioned before on top of the Ravens, right? They're trying to work and get a contract sent with Lamar Jackson. You have two other quarterbacks in that draft as well, kind of in that timeline where we've seen quarterbacks heading to year four get contract extensions. Lamar Jackson, I'm um, sorry, we just mentioned Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield now, and Josh Allen in that boat as well. Any of those three guys going to get an extension, you think, before uh, week one of 2021? Or you think it was smart for these teams to wait one more year and then give out this big term money yeah i think that we saw the cleveland browns this weekend pick up baker mayfield's fifth year option and i think that's smart because it gives you that one more year to truly evaluate him but you know you look around the league and i think that the team that's the biggest threat to the kansas city chiefs right now in the afc is the buffalo bills and a lot of the reason is because of what we've seen josh allen develop into and he's steadily improved every season and yes the arm strength is something that we all knew about but he became more accurate in this postseason and you know they went out they've got stefan diggs they went out they have you know cole beasley in place they they bolstered their tight end position 
And I think that if any of these guys are going to get a contract before the season begins, I think it's going to be Josh Allen because I think he might be the best of that group of three. And I think that he's most important to the team that is closest to knocking off the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm with you there. Yeah, I think it's like I said. I, lo- I do like the the Browns as well. Pick up the fifth year option. Just see one more year, Baker. See if you can develop in or, or develop year number two under the Kevin Stefanski system. And once you can see that, it's, it's smart because the last thing you want is another Jared Goff or Carson Wentz big time extension. And then two or three years left, going. Uh oh, we are in uh, big trouble here. I'm talking to Matt Lombardo, fan side of the National NFL Insider. Matt, let's turn our attention to the draft because last time we had a report from Ian Rapport basically saying that the 49ers now are now down to two quarterbacks are zeroing in on. Trey Lance or Mac Jones? So it seems like Justin Fields now is out of the running to be drafted at number three by the 49ers. Now, I was looking at your latest column from last week. You were out in front of this, had Trey Lance going number three to the 49ers. Why do you feel like the, he is the best fit for San Francisco? I just think that, you know, you look at his downfield accuracy, you look at what he does, you look at the fact that I think he's a little bit more polished than someone like Mac Jones, and just the desperation that John Lynch has shown in trying to get a franchise quarterback. I think that, you know, he's probably the third or fourth best quarterback in this class. I spoke with Randy Mueller, who was a 2000 NFL executive of the year on my podcast on Friday. He believes Justin Fields might have the highest ceiling of any player in this draft class. But you look at Trey Lance, you look at what he was able to do at North Dakota State, and I know he only played one game this year. But what he did at his pro day, I think, turned a lot of heads, and I think that he's an ideal fit for Kyle Shanahan's offense because of his quick reads, his accuracy, and the fact that he can make every throw on the route tree. So, you know, if I were sitting in San Francisco, I would probably be leaning towards Justin Fields. But I think if you're talking scheme fit in Kyle Shanahan's offense, I think the Trey Lance winds up being the pick. And you can find Matt, you just referenced uh, your podcast, the Matt Lombardo Show podcast, from there on all uh, platforms as well. So Matt, I'm curious, can you said Trey Lance, in your mind, is the most polished quarterback in this draft, even or at least more than, I should say, uh, Mac Jones, excuse me. I'm curious because a lot of the evaluations we read is a, a guy that Trey Lance, who probably more than any other quarterback in this draft, will need a year to sit. If that's the case, do you think that Jimmy G will stay with the 49ers through 2021? Or is this a guy where even if you do draft Trey Lance number three, you think he can play relatively early on in 2021? I, I think that you need to play him, right? I think Ooh, the okay. days of, you know, quarterback tearing a clipboard for a year or two have, are long gone. And, you know, when, when you start to look at the teams that are going to need quarterbacks, well, let, let's just say that the Denver Broncos move up and they wind up taking Justin Fields or if Fields falls to them at number nine. There are still teams in this league that need quarterbacks. And I think that New England is certainly a team to watch. Um, for a potential trade with Jeremy Garoppolo. Bill Belichick knows what he has in him. Um, you, you just look around. Quarterback play is so scarce in this league that if the the 49ers can get a second-round pick or a first-round pick for Jimmy Garoppolo, I think he'll wind up getting moved. And, and I just don't understand why you would trade four picks to go up, including two first-rounders, to mm-hmm. go up to number three and and take – a quarterback, but then not deal Jimmy Garoppolo to recoup some of those assets. So uh, I would be pretty shocked if Jimmy Garoppolo was still 49er come Friday evening and even by Thursday afternoon. That is fascinating. I like that, Matt, because like you said, everything you read, it, it's mostly, you know, this guy needs to sit and you need to sit. Here you are saying, let's get this guy. Thing. Let's see what he can do. Make some moves here. So I'm curious if that's the case, right? If you were correct, Trey Lance goes number three to the 49ers. How far in your mind can Mac Jones fall? Because to your point, you hear now, especially you see reports, the Patriots now, if he, if Justin Fields doesn't go number three, that could be a team to watch a trade up for. You hear, you know, interest of, of Justin Fields. 
I feel like outside of the 49ers, you don't hear many teams interested in Mac Jones. Could this be a precipitous fall in your mind if he doesn't go number three? Yes. Because I think that when you talk to people around the league, I think that he's one of these guys that he needs a clean pocket to operate from. He's not a guy that can make all the throws on the run. And you just look at the offense that he had the benefit of playing in with Najee Harris in the backfield, Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddell, two of the you know better field stretchers, not only in this class, but maybe in the last couple of drafts and a clean pocket every down. You're not going to be in any situation like that in the NFL. And I think that when you look at Mac Jones, uh, there's been a lot of talk of him moving up boards, and certainly he's been in the conversation for the number three pick. But a couple of personnel people who I really trust, they tell me that they have a third-round grade on Mac Jones, that he probably shouldn't be a top five, a top ten pick, and maybe not even a first-round choice. So I, I just think that the jury is very much still out on Mac Jones as a quarterback. And if you're taking him in the top five or top ten, you better have a pretty complete offense around him if you're going to help him reach his ceiling because the feeling inside the league is that the moment Mac Jones walk in, walks in the building, that's as good as he's ever going to be. That's fascinating. We're talking to Matt Lombardo, a fan side national NFL insider, and Thomas follow Matt on Twitter at Matt Lombardo NFL. Because I agree. Like I feel like that's my biggest, I guess, concern or not even concern, just question about this whole draft process is to your point, like, when you look at Mac Jones, I think he does have physical limitations, so I think that limits his upside to where guys like Justin Fields and Trey Lance have way higher ceilings. But it's like as soon as the 49ers made that move up to number three, all you heard is Mac Jones, Mac Jones, Mac Jones, Mac Jones, Mac Jones. And it's like your question, it's like, does it really make sense for them to make all, you know, trade up all this assets to move up to get a guy that, you know, maybe is a little bit better than Jimmy G, but basically presents the same skill set that you normally would have of Jimmy G? Why is it in your mind, because to your point, scattering Portuguese, even now insiders say, oh, you know, he's my third, fourth, fifth quarterback, Mac Jones on the board. Why is there all this, I guess, movement or discussion that Mac Jones rose as high as number three and he is the 49ers guy? Like, what led to think this all of a sudden Mac Jones, the 49ers movement that really started as soon as the 49ers made that move up? I think it was the performance in the Senior Bowl. I think that going to the Senior Bowl and kind of standing out there and what he did at Alabama, and of course there's this, you know, hero worship of Nick Saban and Nick Saban quarterbacks. I think that that really generated a lot of the buzz. But once you got to the pro days and once you saw what Justin Fields was able to do, once you saw, you know, how effortless Trey Lance made some of those throws look during his pro day workout, that's where I think those two guys kind of separated to where they should have been on quarterback boards inside the league and evaluators and analysts uh, might have jumped the gun a bit on Mac Jones without getting a fuller and complete picture of what those other quarterbacks have the chance to be. Maybe, uh, listen, it makes sense. It makes sense finally starting now getting, at least as we get closer, maybe now more common sense is starting to push through. I'm curious because now we look at, you know, we look at non-quarterbacks here, right? And you had a great article, um, including about Kyle Pitts. Is this guy... Kyle Pitts, is he, in your mind, including quarterbacks, including Trey Lance, uh, Trey Lance Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, is he the sh- closest thing to a sure thing in this draft? Yes, because, you know, so you talk to general managers, you talk to executives, you talk to, you know, evaluators in, uh, inside the league, Ryan, and, you know, they look at Kyle Pitts and they think that he can do it all. He's a guy that you can line up outside, you can put him in the slot. He's obviously a, a dominant in-line tight end. And I had an AFC personnel executive tell me that, you know, you can make an argument watching Kyle Pitts that he plays his position better than Trevor Lawrence plays his. And he has the potential to go on and be a Hall of Famer. And, you know, I referenced Randy Mueller, Mueller in my conversation mm-hmm. on the podcast that I really enjoyed. You know, he told me that w- what's going to separate Kyle Pitts is he's such a, a mismatch maker and a matchup nightmare that 
even if you're able to cover him, he, he's not a guy that you can easily break up passes that are intended for him. He has elite ball skills. He has tremendously strong hands that he's going to come down with most of the passes that are thrown his way. And that's going to really separate him. So, you know, between the physical skill set, between him being a matchup nightmare for opposing defenses and his versatility to line him up all over the field, you know, you can make a strong case that Kyle Pitts might be the most dominant player in this class and just, you know, breaking down his tape, you know, I, I've made the case all along that he's the most dominant and complete tight end to ever enter the NFL draft. So whether it's the Atlanta Falcons, whether it's the Cincinnati Bengals, somebody is getting an elite tight end and a dominant pass catcher with their first round pick. Would you be shocked at this point if he doesn't go to the Falcons at number four? I, I would only because, you know, you talk to a lot of people inside the league and this very strong belief is that, you know, Falcons owner Arthur Blank is enamored by Kyle Pitts and that he has a very strong memory of what Tony Gonzalez meant to the Atlanta Falcons. And his belief is if you drop him into an offense that already has Julio Jones, if he stays Calvin Ridley and, you know, you put Kyle Pitts in that mix, all of a sudden you have one of the more dominant vertical passing games in the league with the quarterback in Matt Ryan that you still have two years of control under. So I'd be pretty surprised if Kyle Pitts makes a pass four. I'm with you. And even if even if Matt Ryan struggles this year and you got to move on, maybe have to draft a quarterback next year. And that is a great situation to bring a young quarterback into when you have Calvin Ridley, you have um, Kyle Pitts there as well, obviously – Maybe uh, Julio Jones is even out, maybe even early this year, but still have those two receivers and tight ends uh, on your team next year going forward is great for every young quarterback you want to bring into. We're talking about Matt Lombardo, fan side, national NFL insider. Find Matt's work at Matt Lombardo NFL. Also check out the podcast, the Matt Lombardo Show podcast. A few more questions for you here, Matt. I want to talk about defense because that really, obviously, as we know, not a, a side of the ball to discuss much, especially early on in the draft. It's quarterback heavy, it's receiver heavy. But how about, I want to bring a guy we both have mutual interest in, Micah Parsons, going to the prestigious, the elite Penn State University. I say that definitely as an object alum, definitely no, uh, no ties there for sure. Is he, in your mind, worth a top 10 pick in this draft? Yeah, I'd be surprised if he's not a top 10 pick in this draft. He's certainly worth a top 10 pick. And, you know, I watch Micah Parsons, and I see a guy who, on the defensive side of the ball, has the highest ceiling and the highest floor. I just don't know how at the next level he isn't an immediate plug-and-play superstar, a guy that can contend for NFC or NFL, rather, defensive player of the year almost every year because his versatility to line up off the edge as a pass rusher. you got to remember that he was a five-star defensive end, the top defensive end in his recruiting class before arriving in Happy Valley and becoming an All-American inside linebacker. He can get downhill from the inside linebacker spot He's a playmaker. He can go sideline to sideline in coverage. And, you know, I talked to a personnel executive earlier this offseason who said that he has a higher ceiling coming out than Devin White did when he came out of LSU. And you saw the impact he's made on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You hear names like Ray Lewis, Luke Keekley, you know, thrown around as comps for Micah Parsons. And I think that those are all very much within his reach. I think he's an, a tremendously gifted athlete and a versatile defender. It's just a matter of, where does he fit in on the board, right? Because mm -hmm. if you have four or five quarterbacks that are chosen, then you start to look at some of the other positions. Kyle Pitts, you, you look at the receivers, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, Devonta Smith. Is it, now you have to wonder who takes a defensive player in the top 10. And, you know, my belief, just, you know, talking to people and reading between the lines of some of Dave Gettleman's comments, that if Micah Parsons is on the board at number 11 and Devonta Smith isn't, 
I think there's a really good chance that Michael Parsons is lining up alongside Blake Martinez in the Giants defense this fall. Selfishly, as someone living on Long Island here, and I know you cover the Giants as well in depth, that'd be great. Selfishly for both of us to watch uh, Micah Parsons up close and personal here on a, uh, on a nice little like that, a week in, week out, be a lot of fun. Two questions for you, Matt, to finish off here. Number one, um, what team in your mind, is it the Broncos, the Panthers, the Patriots, is most likely to make a move to try to trade up for a quarterback? Is there one team that kind of keeps on, you, you know, when you talk to people that keeps on coming back and say, hey, this is the team that's going to be aggressive? Yeah, I think it's New England. I really do. Because, you know, I know that they brought back Cam Newton, but that was really a one-year prove-it deal. And, you know, you look at what happened in Tampa Bay and Bill Belichick seeing Tom Brady go down and win a Super Bowl. I think there's added pressure there. And they went out and they bolstered the supporting cast on offense, getting the two top tight ends in John o. Smith and Hunter Henry in free agency. And, you know, I just don't know that Cam Newton is a guy at this stage of his career who's going to get you to the postseason, let alone win you a couple of playoff games to get you to a Super Bowl. So whether it's trading for Jimmy Garoppolo, whether it's trading to move up and get Justin Fields, I think the Patriots are very much that favorite to go up and get a quarterback and another team you know if if fields makes it to nine i wouldn't be shocked if pat Shermer pounds the table for justin fields he seems to really fit you know his style of quarterback and and, you know the type of guy who could make that offense really hum with all the young talent they have out there at wide receiver that'd be a a lot of fun like i said with that offense to be um be a lot a lot of weapons there a lot of fun to watch so speaking of that matt my last question is this because obviously as we know we have dissected all these quarterbacks all five what do they do well what don't they do well would be a good fit here would be good fit there rank them all five i feel like one thing we can't do and it's hard to do just because we don't know where they're going to go to after the draft is kind of rank the destinations rank and talk about the teams that will take a quarterback can they put their quarterback in a position to succeed I would say the 49ers are are almost an outlier in this just because we rarely see a team as talented as they are draft this high. Um, So taking them out of the conversation, whether it's the Jaguars, whether it's the Panthers, the Broncos, the the Patriots, what team in your mind has the best setup to, if they do draft a quarterback in the first round, that has the best, you know, situation to have them come in there and thrive? I think it's the Jets. Because, really? you know, you look at, you look at the, what, what GM Joe Douglas has done in there. You look at the fact that they have a rising offensive coordinator in Mike LaFleur. You know, I, I think that Zach Wilson immediately arrives in a higher upside offense and a far more stable situation from a leadership standpoint than Sam Darnold ever had. And maybe I'm a little bit higher on Corey Davis than most people, but I think that he has the potential to be a top 10 receiver in this league. And you saw what he did in a really run-oriented offense. But, you know, I was really high on Denzel Mims coming out of Baylor last year, and injuries really plagued his his rookie season. But if Mims is healthy and reaches his potential, you have Jamison Crowder there. You have, obviously, Corey Davis. You have Mekhi Becton, a franchise left tackle. And Wilson's a guy who you talk to quarterback coaches around the league and evaluators, he really excels at making throws off platform and, you know, not having to set his feet. The names Brett Favre and Patrick Mahomes roll off evaluators' tongues when it comes to Zach Wilson. So if he's one-fifth of that type of player with the supporting cast he has around him right now, I, I think the Jets surprisingly are, are a really soft landing spot for a quarterback in this particular offseason. It's funny, Max. I look at the Jets right now, and I kind of I don't view them much differently than I did in 2018 when they brought Sam Darnold in. He was supposed to be you know, the guy, the savior, if you will, to come in and bail this Jets out of this quarterback hell they've been in for, I mean, frankly, since they had Joe Namath and won the Super Bowl. 
Um, is it is it Robert Sala himself? Is just overall everything better situational wise? Do you think this time in 2021 drafting a quarterback in the top three will work out better than it did last time with Sam Darnold? Yeah, I think it's situation. I think that Saleh, you know, is much higher regarded than Adam Gase is as a head coaching candidate. I think that the offense is has more upside today than it did when the Jets drafted Sam Darnold in 2018. And I just think that there, there's more of a clear vision for what the organization hopes and pretends to be under Joe Douglas than there ever was under Mike McCagnon. So, you know, you just look at all of those things and you look at a division now that doesn't include Tom Brady, that the real roadblock to winning that division isn't New England. Rather, it is the Buffalo Bills. And I think the Jets are a team that within two or three years, if Wilson winds up being, you know, half of to a fifth of the quarterback prospect that everybody believes he has the chance to be, I think that they could really make some noise. Matt Lombardo NFL is where you can find Matt's great work on Twitter. Fanside National NFL Insider. Also, make sure to subscribe and listen to the Matt Lombardo Show podcast. Matt, really appreciate all the information and the discussion here for the last few minutes. Enjoy the draft. I know it's going to be crazy between now and then. Enjoy it, and uh, thanks so much for the minute, uh, for the time here. You got it, Ryan. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you again, Matt Lombardo. Very talented NFL insider, columnist for Fanside.com. And again, Matt Lombardo NFL is where you can find all his great work. Fascinating. He thinks the Jets are the second-best landing spot in the draft if we take away the 49ers. We want to react to that. And also, now that we are down to two, Trey Lance and Mac Jones seemingly for the 49ers taking at number three. I do agree with what Matt said about Trey Lance having um, and being the far better pick than Mac Jones. We'll discuss that. And now you're starting to hear reports on Twitter starting to trickle out that, hey, because now Justin Fields maybe isn't going to be the guy at number three, one team could make an aggressive move to go pursue him. We'll tell you who that team is to close out the Ryan Hickey Show when we return right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back in to the Ryan Hickey Show with you right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Rolling for a few more minutes till the top of the hour, 11 a.m. Eastern. We will say adios on this Monday morning. Make sure you're liking us on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Following us on Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. Subscribing on YouTube, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We are live on those platforms, not just for this show, but every single show here we do on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network ton of great shows here for whatever you like wwe nhl basketball football baseball gambling we have it all covered so make sure again like us on facebook follow us on twitter subscribe on youtube and download the app wwsrn if you have an iphone worldwide sports right now if you have an android nice and easy everything articles shows clips from the shows all at the touch of a button right there in the app wwsrn if you have an iPhone Worldwide Sports Network, if you are uh, or do have an Android. So we appreciate Matt uh, Lombardo, fan side of the NFL Insider, for joining us here for a few minutes. He said some fascinating things that I want to discuss and wrap up about our conversation with. Number one, he I'll give him Matt a lot of credit. His column, the most recent column he posted last week, he had Trey Lance, and he mocked Trey Lance going number three to the 49ers. He thinks not only does he have you know, a way higher upside than, than Mac Jones, which I would agree with, the fascinating part to me was that he thinks Trey Lance could start day one, right away. 
to me, I, I thought Trey Lance is a guy, and I still think he's a guy that if the 49ers do do what Matt says and believes they will do in tra- uh, trading, dra- drafting Trey Lance number three, I still think he needs to sit a year. I think he's a guy that rougher on the edges, a lot of natural talent, great arm strength, um, a lot of things he does well. But the inexperience, only starting for one year, I think he's a guy that could really benefit from sitting uh, down for a year, kind of learning the offense, digesting it all, learning from Jimmy Garoppolo, who, who knows how to run the offense pretty efficiently. You keep Jimmy G because both Matt and I agree. You're not going to get a first-round pick back for Jimmy Garoppolo. It's not going to happen. There's too much There's too much question marks when it comes to his health, and there's too many quarterbacks available to where teams can go in the draft and get someone instead of giving away a first-round pick for Jimmy Garoppolo. So if I'm Kyle Shanahan, I do tra- uh, draft Trey Lance at number three, and I do keep Jimmy Garoppolo on the team. I think to me, despite Matt thinking that he can go and play right away, I think he's a guy, maybe take it easy, pump the brakes a little bit, let him sit down for you. I think it benefited Patrick Holmes well. I think that you can follow that same blueprint um, for Trey Lance and see what you got, have him kind of get his feet wet, if you will, and then throw him on the field because this team is very, very talented. Great running game, great offensive line, solid receivers throw the ball to Everything to me is in place, similar to the way it was in Kansas City when they took Patrick Holmes, similar to the way it was building towards in Buffalo when they took Josh Allen. Two different approaches, right? Buffalo played Josh Allen right away, up and down results. Year three is when he blossomed. Patrick Holmes sat for a year behind Alex Smith, learned a lot, and then when he came in, he took the league by storm. So I do think sitting Trey Lance for a year would be the smart move, but I do think, and I agree with Matt here, we are both on Trey Lance going to the 49ers. Now that it is down to two, Apparently, according to Ian Rappaport, between Mac Jones and Trey Lance, I do think it would be the smart move, more of a long-term move to draft Trey Lance to the 49ers because I do think Mac Jones is a guy, and Matt said as well, could come in and play day one and Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be at the door. But is Mac Jones the guy that can come in and, and elevate a team or is he a product of his environment? For me personally, I think Mac Jones is more of a product of his environment where he had the best receiver in the game in Devontae Smith. He had arguably the best running back in, in college football in Najee Harris. The best coaches in college football with Nick Saban and we saw with Steve Sarkeesian. You had a tremendously talented offensive line. Everything was elite with Alabama surrounding Mac Jones. And I think to me, his play was elevated because of all that eliteness around him. Where he's a guy now in, let's say, two, three, four years, if the 49ers lose a player or two, can he come in there and elevate the team and make the players around him better? I have my doubts. I don't think so. I think his play can be elevated because of the greatness around him. But as we know, if you want to win a Super Bowl, if you want to be consistently great and have a guy you can rely on, you need a quarterback to make not only be better when the talent around him is better, but also elevate the talent around him to where if you have a guy that's not great. Your quarterback can elevate, whether it's a running back, whether it's an offensive lineman, whether it's a receiver, can elevate their play because he's just so good. I don't think Matt Jones is the guy to do so. I think to me, Trey Lance, if you give him some time, he has the upside to me that can do that. So now that it's down to two, looks like I'm going to be wrong about Justin Fields going to the 49ers. But if you're down to two, to me, it's Trey Lance is the answer. Another fascinating thing Matt said, we talked about aggressiveness. Because now that, since the report's been out, right, that it's going to be either Mac Jones or Trey Lance, now you're starting to hear some residual reports that, hey, if now it's Justin Fields probably not going to go three, does this open up some teams to where if they have uh, Justin Fields on their board, maybe now that they almost certainly know he's not going to go to the four Niners, can they make a move to go get him? One of those teams you're hearing is the New England Patriots. 
could trade up. We don't know where, but there's interest that the Patriots have uh, or do like Justin Fields that they can make a move to trade up to get the quarterback at six, at seven, at eight, at 10. Who knows? And there's interest there. Apparently, the Bill Belichick would want to make a move to trade up. Now, Matt, you just heard him say he thinks, you know, one of the most aggressive teams is going to be the Patriots. Not only to even draft a quarterback, maybe make a move for Jimmy Garoppolo. I think it makes sense for the Patriots, if they were to be aggressive, if Justin Fields slips and he's their guy, I think it does make sense for New England to be aggressive to trade up. I'm with Matt, and you heard him say Cam Newton is not the answer. If you roll into 2020 with Cam Newton as your starter, oh boy, all of that work you did in free agency to me goes out the window. Now, I'm personally still skeptical that all those free agent moves will pan out and work the way the Patriots want. And to their credit, they realize, hey, we have trouble drafting well, screw that. We're just going to now just go crazy for agency with all this money we have. We are going to address the team through bona fide veterans, at least that we know, um, can produce on the NFL level. We're going to get sure things, if you will, in free agency than you will in the draft. But if you have Cam Newton rolling out there as your starter on day one, not only rolling out there to start on day one, but no one in the wings, no Justin Fields, no even Jimmy G, no one there to compete with him, and it's Cam Newton or Cam Newton or Boston. The Patriots, to me, are not only not making the playoffs, they are, again, throwing away all of the work that they did in the offseason to acquire Hunter Henry and John w. Smith and Nelson Aguilar and Matthew Judon. Throwing it all away because you don't have a chance to make the playoffs. In my mind, if you have Cam Newton as your quarterback. So it makes sense. I think the Patriots right now, with where they're positioned, with the way they've struggled in the draft, it makes sense to give away a few picks. If you can trade up, get a guy like Justin Fields, who I am very, very high on. You heard Matt Lombardo just say he has some scouts he's talking to have Justin Fields as the highest upside quarterback. You can get a guy with the biggest ceiling, the highest upside. Trading up, I would do it. And I think that at least they have the pieces there to give Fields a chance to succeed compared to last year. If he was on this team last year, I think Justin Fields is in a world of trouble. Not even because of him, just because the offensive line was banged up, the running game stinks, the receivers are awful. At least now you've upgraded that a little bit here in the short term to give yourself a chance to where if you do draft a young quarterback, you're essentially not throwing them to the Wolves. So I think it makes sense, and the, the uh, Patriots, for sure, should be the most aggressive team that is trying to get a quarterback. So it's fascinating to see what, what will happen from there. Um, if what goes down, we do think goes down where Trey Lance or Mac Jones goes number three, I think Patriots definitely a team to watch out for more than anyone else to trade up to go get Justin Fields. And the last thing I want to quickly comment here is what Matt said. It's also fascinating because and you, you heard my doubt and skepticism about Mac Jones. Now he'll be on the NFL level. And for what we heard, and all we really do hear is Mac Jones to the 49ers, Mac Jones to the 49ers, Mac Jones to the 49ers. There's no other team connected to Mac Jones where if he doesn't go number three, whether if it does end up being Trey Lance at number three, right? There's no real other team connected to Mac Jones. Maybe the Patriots at 15. But you heard Matt. He thinks he could fall and fall fast. And I agree with him. You look at Mac Jones. There's no real other tie. There's no real other team showing legitimate interest so far that we know about. Other than the 49ers. So for all the questions and where it doesn't make much sense to where athletically he has um, a ceiling... To where I agree with Matt, where he said, like, you know, I think Mac Jones is a product of his environment where you're playing against the best. That kind of elevates your game and makes you maybe even better than you are. And you heard Matt say, he talked to some people that 
the best Mac Jones you'll get is when he walks to the door. It's only downhill from there. I am fascinated to see if it does go and does end up being Trey Lance at number three. How far does Mac Jones fall? Because I think to me, the natural landing spot or the one you think that will make the most sense would be the Patriots at 15. Well, if the Patriots at 15 are aggressive and going after Justin Fields, I don't think the uh, the Broncos, I don't think the Panthers would pull the trigger on Mac Jones. And you are going to get down there where it is going to be maybe, I mean, maybe you have Sean Payton with the, with the Saints kind of feeling like a security blanket here in case James Winston doesn't pan out. Let's go get Mac Jones. It's going to be fascinating to see where he falls and how far he does fall if it does not end up being the 49ers number three. So really do appreciate Matt for joining and just some fascinating stuff to watch out for between now and Thursday night. Should be a lot of intrigue. Should be a lot of fun. Speaking of which, I'm excited for Thursday's show. We will be here next time we're on the air. We will be just hours away from the NFL draft. We will put the plans to bring on a few worldwide sports right now. Contributors from other shows, because guess what? They are fans of different teams. You have some Bengals fans on staff, Jets fans, Giants fans. We will do a preview of the draft and what a few different teams should do as well. And we'll get you all jacked up, all ready to go. Fan NFL Draft, that'd be a lot of fun. So make sure to tune in at Thursday. 9 a.m. is when the fun starts here, leading you into the NFL Draft on Thursday night. So we'll do it for this edition of the Ryan Hickey Show on this Monday. Really appreciate Matt Lombardo from Fanside for giving us a few minutes here and giving us some fascinating insider notes that he's been uh, working on, talking with executives and different scouts and coaches about. Um, I really appreciate you listening, tuning in, making your Monday or making us a part of your Monday morning, I should say. So we'll be back on Thursday, 9 a.m. right here on the Worldwide Sports Right Now. Between now and then, stay safe, stay sane. We'll talk to you on Thursday morning right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network.